Caution, the Mark Hunger Show contains adult content intended for an adult audience. And, besides that, he's really weird. Welcome to the Mark Gunger Show with international marriage speaker and author of Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, Mark Gunger. This is your source for practical, down-to-earth marriage advice without all the over-spiritualization or romantic nonsense. And now the host of the Mark Gunger Show, Mark Gunger. wild with delirious joy. They've joined the Mark Gunger Show, the show that deals with all things concerning... Knowledge. Indeed, I am your host, the one, the only, Mark Gunger, and he's so pretty. He's so pretty. He's such a pretty boy. Joining me as always, <laughs> the ever-lovely <laughs> Diane Briarly, and of course the amazing, the talented, the fearless Philip James Gunger. <laughs> Engineering the show is always the very talented but eerily creepy Timothy Robert Ray pushing buttons, pushing knobs, and trying to stay awake during this incomprehensibly, immeasurably boring show. This is the show that handles your marital challenges, relational conundrums, and dating dilemmas that you can email to us at ask, ASK at markgunger.com. Here's how the show works. You can ask a question about anything. Nothing's off limits, hence the warning at the beginning of the show. Uh, we deal with all kinds of uncomfortable subjects that most other shows won't touch, we will deal with them. You stay anonymous, and then we tend to just be brutally honest. This is a show about what we think. You want to know what we think? This is what we think. Actually, it's more about what I think, because I'm so pretty. All right, what do you got there? Okay, the most popular bad marriage advice. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) this guy officiated at a wedding, and they had one of those things where you write on a sticky note your best advice to the couple, and this apparently came out of that. So some of it is very unhealthy and potentially destructive, while it might sound really nice on the surface. The first bad marriage advice, follow your heart. Yes, that's terrible advice. You know how many preachers preach this and teach Mm -hmm. this? Follow your heart. People say, well, that's good. No, it's not, because he quotes from Jeremiah. The heart Mm -hmm. is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Mm -hmm. Who can understand it? Your heart, which really has to do with your emotions and your feelings, will get you into a world of trouble. For heaven's sakes, don't live your life based on your heart, but rather on God's Word. That's why the Bible is so powerful. That's the standard that we live our lives by. You follow that, you will succeed. You follow your heart, you're going to be a disaster. He said better advice would be to say, follow your heart only when your heart is following your faith, your principles, and your commitments. Well, he's just trying to be nice. That's not following your heart. That's following your faith, your principles, and your because commitments. most of the time, your heart doesn't follow those things. I know, but it's Let's such, be honest. Even this guy, Dave, God bless him, Dave Willis, he's still playing into it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can follow your heart as long as your heart's following your faith, principles, and commitments. Well, stop with the heart stuff. It's about stop your it. faith, your principles, and your commitments. And I'll tell you what, your emotions, your heart at times will not want to follow your faith. No. Your principles and your commitments. Isn't that what I just said? You're fl- yes, it is. But <laughs> I'm, you. but I'm so pretty. I'm, it's better I'm, when it comes from the I'm, pretty one. I'm much prettier than you are. <laughs> just had this great thought. <laughs> it's an original thought that I just had. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was really funny. 
as your hips was. But I don't listen to you. See, that's I the know. Thing. <laughs> you don't. Anyway. Okay. What else? What's the uh, other the bad se- advice? Uh, second one is do whatever makes you happy. Which is directly tied to yes, natural following progression your heart. from following your yes. heart. He says, ironically, the people who make happiness their sole pursuit usually wind up as very unhappy people. Mm-hmm. Instead of pursuing happiness as the end goal, pursue a purpose, a life of purpose of following God, serving others, and growing daily in your love for your spouse, and you'll very likely find happiness along the way. Here's the thing. Short-term gratification will always make you more happy. In than, the short. In the short term. Uh, doing the right thing generally in the short term doesn't make you happy. Right. That's the weird thing about it. Doing the right thing oftentimes in the short term will make you unhappy. Mm-hmm. Surrendering, serving someone else, not getting your own way, all these different things in the short term will make you very unhappy. But in the long term, will make you extremely happy because of the blessings of that. Mm-hmm. So short-term gratification is just not a good thing. Well, and We're the just, happiness thing in the short term, usually in the long run, does the opposite. leads to hell. Well, that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. What will make you, there's all kinds of things that right now would make you really happy, <laughs> and they're so inappropriate. <laughs> so in the levels. immediate. <laughs> in the immediate. Uh, but my long-term disaster would be a trip to hell. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, very, very destructive. We were talking before the show started. Actually, talking too much before the show started. <laughs> we may never get any shows done today. But uh, uh, the study that was done some years ago, it'll sound familiar to people, because I'm sure I'm not the first one to tell you this, but uh, they did a study with uh, children, and they and they get a children in these room, and they would offer a child a cookie, say, now you can eat this cookie right now, or if you wait five minutes, or whatever the number was, I'll give you two cookies. So then they they videoed kids and they watched what they did and you know a significant portion of them just because <laughs> the they couldn't right wait because they couldn't wait uh, and then there were the kids who would wait patiently because now they knew they got two cookies uh, and then they followed these kids it was done over a long period of time we're talking thirty years or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and then went and followed up those kids the ones who waited proved to be very successful in life because they knew the key of Delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. And I, I encourage your parents, you know, teach your children. You know, I wouldn't just leave it up to what they're innately in, inclined to do, because most of them will just want to eat the cookie. Mm-hmm. Teach them to delay gratification so that they fall into that category of successful people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a good point. All right. The last piece of bad advice, your kids should always come first. Now, people can't get this one. No. This drives people crazy, because in their mind, kids will always come first. Mm-hmm. And it'll actually, well, what's he say about it? He says, again, this sounds like responsible, selfless wisdom, but Mm -hmm. it's actually dangerous advice. Obviously, we need to make sacrifices for our children, but I've seen too many couples put their marriage on hold while they're raising their kids, only to wind up with an empty nest and an empty marriage at the same time. And the divorce rate with that group Mm -hmm. is just out of control. Mm -hmm. They suck it up. I know people in our church like that. As soon as the kids get old enough, Mm -hmm. boom. Their marriage just was such a disaster because all they did was focus on their kids. Their kids were the most important thing. It sounds so holy and so righteous, but in point of fact, uh, that shouldn't. You should maintain your. Ma- Actually, I don't think it's an either or, but I know people you who do make. Both. Yeah, you do both. Everything yes. comes first. Yes. People say, "What well, comes first? Everything." Well, how's that possible? It just is. He says, "Have the God kind of marriage comes first, that makes your, your marriage comes first. Your kids come first. Yeah. But when it comes into uh, well, my kids come first over my marriage. Those kind of the minute you start doing that, and I would even think in the reverse. Well, my marriage will come first 
over the, I mean, the people who act like that, they don't care about their kids. They just want to go out and do whatever they want to do. Uh, and that's still destructive. So I think the fact when people start talking these terms, it sounds good, but it's actually very destructive. You need to do it all. Well, and then you throw the whole wrench in it of what's the 40-some percent of marriages are not first marriages anymore. And when you have kids in it, that throws everything upside down on its head. I think that's why second marriages have such a high failure rate and third marriages even higher is because of the kid factor. Mm -hmm. Because they walk in and they're absolutely convinced, my kids will come over you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And when that's your premise, you can't build a foundation. That's my guess, why second or third marriage is such a disaster. It's one of the contributing factors. Yeah, I think it's the major, personally, I think it's the major factor. I could be wrong. I've been wrong about once, twice in my life. Of course, I could be wrong about that. (laughs) But I think that's the major factor. Because when you see couples who don't have small children, who remarry or remarried. Some people had real short marriages. There were no children and mm-hmm. then remarried again. They tend to, from my viewpoint, mm-hmm. tend to last a lot longer. Oh, it's always the remarriages with children involved. It's the children factor. Or more of a disaster than the, I have no kids and I'm getting married for this. Now, does that mean oh, you yeah, can't yeah. do it? Yeah, you could, but you can't go in with, my kids come first. Because when you go in with that thing, you can't build a lasting marriage. Really interesting. That'd be interesting to take more stronger look at that but uh, anyway okay that's our opening opening salvo we will be back with your emails right after this download your free mark gunger app today to see all of the latest from the world of mark gunger There's a party going on on the Mark Gunger Show. Mark Gunger, Diane Briley, Phil Gunger, answering your emails. Um, I just want to opine just <laughs> again on what we just talked about on this statement about people say, well, my kids should always come first. This only really becomes a problem in second and third marriages. And I think the, when people go in with that kind of thinking, they are doomed to failure or at a minimum, great distress. I think the answer to this is you have to view it as it all is the same. My kids are as important as your kids. Your kids are important as my kids. And this marriage is as important. It's all the same. It becomes one. If you can't make it all one, you will never succeed, in my opinion. Uh, you were adopted. Mm-hmm. I was adopted. Uh, but then did, did, did your parents have other children? Um, yes, there was he had two, she had two, and then they had one together. Okay, did they treat the one together different than the other ones? No. Yeah. No. Same with us. It was never. Uh, in fact, uh, his actual biological children um, were as important as as we were the adopted as his own biological mm-hmm. children. And in fact, when he later, of course, he's not here anymore, but uh, was struggling with dementia and stuff like that, it was interesting. He always recognized the boys, his adopted his children. adopted children over his own children. He did. More so. It was real interesting. Uh, we were always his boys. And we were quite hellions on top of it until <laughs> we got mm-hmm. saved. But he had a lot of pride in, in the boys. And he never, ever referred to us as stepchildren. Mm-hmm. Never, ever reported us as you're adopted. Mm-mm. And I know there's people, psychologists and stuff, and I'm not a psychologist. I'm just an idiot in Wisconsin. But uh, I think it's terrible. I, I know they say you should always tell your adopted children that they're adopted and make a big deal. You're ado- I have always felt as a horrible piece of advice. There is no reason to tell them that. There's no, at some point, you need to tell them they were adopted. But it almost, my family finally told us we were adopted. I was maybe 12 years old. But it was almost in passing. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason 
everybody else looks so different than you guys is because this is what happened. And we went, mm-hmm. oh. And then we ran outside and kept playing. You know, I mean, it, it was no big deal. And it was never mentioned. I mean, other than that we knew it, mm-hmm. it was never rehearsed. It was all the same. Mm-hmm. And I think pastors really ought to uh, counsel people like this. When they go into the remarriages, they have got to ask, ask them the question, uh, will your kids always come first? And, if they, and, they, and of course, they're going to say yes. And then challenge them on this thinking. If you can't think of it all as the same, you have no business doing this mm-hmm. because you are headed for a disaster. Well, I often hear people in remarriage situations, they never refer to their collective kids as our kids. It's his kids and my kids. And I never did that. Yeah, and I, my I, parents I, never did yeah. that. It was always our kids. <clears throat> That's the way it needs to be. So I don't, this whole thing about our kids should come first. Anybody who says our marriage should come first, I think is unhealthy. Anyone who says our children come first is unhealthy. Anyone who says my job comes first, because you know, it's easy to pick on that one. Mm-hmm. But the, the reality is what you need to do in life, it's all important. Mm-hmm. It's not, you don't break it up. We are as important as our children, as our grandchildren, as your kids, as my kids, or the adopted kids. There is no differentiation. We are one. And people who think in those terms, you'll find married couples, uh, remarried couples who think in those terms, they generally don't struggle. It is this constant battle of my kids come first. Or someone comes in, you you're, make your kids more important than us. And because it's always, everything's a competition. Mm-hmm. They never see it as one. Mm-hmm. You see it as, now you can argue about who spends more time with whatever. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's never yours and mine and this this competition. That's what destroys these things. If you can't become one, remember, the whole idea of marriage is what? The two become one. One. Well, these people come in a situation and the two never become one. Because it's always rehearsed and pointed out that it's our marriage, your kids, and well, this is more important than that, you know. Ugh. Bad idea. All right. I hope people hear that. What do you got? Okay, first email today says, My husband is a pastor, and we met really young in youth group and have been married for eight years. Now have two children. We have had a lot of reoccurring arguments on what seems like the same topic. I feel like I show love to him, but I always feel rejected and an afterthought by him. He seems so wrapped up in the passion of his ministry, and when I very reluctantly find the nerve to share some of the things with him that I want in our marriage or feelings that I have, he shuts down and says that I'm never satisfied with him. I feel like I do lift him up and praise him when he does things that makes me happy, hoping that he will continue doing those types of things, but he doesn't, and he blocks out the times that I gave him compliments and just focuses uh, frustration on when I express hurt feelings or being dissatisfied in our marriage. I'm losing the feeling of connection with him, and I feel very unlistened to. The only time I feel that he wants me is when he wants sex, and when he does, he wants me to put all of my hurt aside and just forget it. She says, I'm beyond hurt and frustrated. Uh, <clears throat> number one, you guys need counseling. He's a pastor. He will not want to get counseling because if there's one thing a pastor cannot admit is that we are struggling. And I think it's terrible. Pastors and their wives often find themselves in a terrible hellhole in their relationships because they can never reach out to the people for help because they can't. Well, you know, listen, I don't think you need to get up and announce to your congregation that you're getting counseling. It's probably a bad idea. You'll probably get fired if you're like most churches, Mm -hmm. you know, where the pastor is really just a hired hand anyway. Don't get me started on that whole subject. But uh, what I'm saying is you contact your denomination or somebody that you have confidence in and go to them for help. Uh, You know, 
shoot, give me a call. I'll spend some time. I'm seriously, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, it won't be long term counseling. You guys need to sit down and you need to work through uh, some of these issues. But that means probably getting on an airplane, going somewhere. There's some great, you know, what's those guys down in Branson that uh, Smalley's. Smalley's group? What's the name? Look up Greg Smalley, Gary Smalley. These guys, they have a great uh, program where you can get away in Branson, Missouri, and spend. We've sent couples to that. Mm-hmm. Great guys down there. Where you can go down and just spend a week. You know, nobody needs to know you're going there. You, you just go. We're going on vacation. We're going. We're going to Branson. Well, they're figuring to hang out with all the old people, <laughs> listening, listen to crooners. People don't want to listen to anymore. <laughs> go to Branson. <laughs> Actually, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to do one night shows in Branson. <laughs> I don't know why. I just you're old because I'm old. (laughs) I'll be one of those guys nobody wants to listen to anymore. Uh, For all they know, you're going to go and you're going to party with the geezers in Branson. I would we're going to Branson, we're taking a week off, and then go to that Smalley Smalley Institute. Is that what it's called? Yes, the Smalley Institute. There. Yep. My brain finally kicked in. Smalley Institute, and uh, and check in with them and. that's what I think you need to do this. Play this for your husband, if you will. Dude, you're a pastor. I get it. Sometimes your marriage, despite all your spiritual, you know, ideals and stuff, like sometimes sometimes it just sucks and you're really having a problem. Here's the problem. If you guys don't fix this, you will end up in a disaster. You will get so cold to your husband. You will so deny him sexually. He'll get frustrated. Some little cute girl with nice boobies will come along and say, oh, pastor, pray for me. And he'll wind up having an adultery affair with her. And you guys are going to lose everything. This happens every day in America. I'm not saying some, you know, unrealistic thing. This happens all the time. Well, especially because he's feeling unsupported oh, yeah, and uncomplimented yeah. by her and all that. Yeah. And someone's going to come along because he's going to be fed it all the time by these women out there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so having said that, your number one that you guys need a week will not kill you. Get away for a week. Spend time with somebody like these guys and, and get some help and, and get some of these things tweaked out. Now... Let me give you my real general answer to this thing, because what she just described, lots of women mm-hmm. describe, okay? But we're going to need to take a break. Mm-hmm. So I will give you my 10 cents worth. My number one advice, you guys need to get away, and you need to fix this, okay? You're not going to fix it with some what I'm about to say in 15 seconds or whatever. So we're going to take a break. We'll come back with more right after this. Have a marriage dilemma? Email your questions to ask at markgunger.com and Mark can answer them during one of our shows. Did he say I'd rather be a fly? I wasn't listening, I was reading. You know I love you, baby. Great old blue song. Turn up. I don't love you, baby. I tell you, The music of uh, Jimmy Bratcher. Check it out, jimmybratcher.com. Okay, so this lady writes in and she says, in a nutshell, you know, my husband doesn't feel supported by me, uh, and I think he's just a selfish narcissistic snot. <laughs> Unless he wants well, to say. it wasn't quite that strong. Oh, whatever. But okay. Just in a nutshell, I said, as a pastor, as a pastor, a couple, they need to go get help. Yes. Because this is going to be fixed in a heartbeat. But in a, in, in a nutshell, let me share this with you. Um, and I shared this recently in our church. Um, 
the only real substantive thing in the Bible about marriage in the New Testament says, wives, respect your husbands, husbands, sacrificially love your wives. That's Christ loved the church, that's it. Uh, why would he say that? Why didn't he say women sacrificially love your husband? and God? Because they don't have a problem in that area. It's men. Men tend to be self-centered and self-seeking. It is what it is. Now, what I said to our congregation is that's really not necessarily a bad thing. It can get bad. But men do things to get things. It's always been that way. And God understands that and has always worked with that. From the beginning in the Bible, God says, if you do the right thing, I'll bless you. If you don't, I'll kick your butt. Men tend to do things either for gain or fear of loss. It is what it is. For women to say, men shouldn't be that way. Yeah, lots of work with that. You know, look, look with that. It's not going to work, okay? So it is what it is. So, But men have to, and even though that's okay, even Jesus, when he was telling, you know, you guys need to give money, he, he could have just ended it there, but he didn't. He says, because if you do it, you'll be blessed, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will blessings come back into your life? He gives the promise, the, the carrot and the stick, heaven and hell. Pretty big carrot and stick there, okay? So don't tell me, oh, there's not supposed to be any rewards and stuff like that. People, you know, they're crazy. So that, that fundamentally is true. Men will do things to get things. It doesn't mean we're evil. It just means that we're men. But in the context of that, we have to be reminded to go the extra mile. We need to sacrificially give back to our wives or they're going to be very frustrated. Is This lady's frustrated. L- women, on the other hand, tend to be critical, uh, but in a way, that's a good thing. In fact, God put women on earth. He, he made Adam and said, oh, this guy needs some help. So here comes the lady. She comes. And the way she helps him, and in fact, virtually all women, if they can work this out with their husbands, help the men to succeed more. They call it the nag factor. <laughs> it sounds bad. But it is what it is. It's that you, you can do better. Don't do that. To, you know, don't kill yourself. <laughs> you know, don't do all these dangerous things. Uh, and they try to unlock their potential. So that is always kind of there. What women have to be careful is not to step over the line, and it can be a fine line to where now you're critical and you're disrespecting and you're insulting. So it's not saying that women shouldn't challenge their husbands. Of course they have to. That's how men succeed more when they're married. And all studies show that married men succeed more than single men. So don't get mad if your husband tends to be kind of selfish. That's kind of how men are wired. Don't be mad at your wife because your wife tends to be a bit critical and stuff like that. Oh, my wife doesn't respect me. Just check your medication, okay? Now, it can go over where the guy becomes so self-absorbed, he's not doing anything sacrificially toward his wife. You're headed for a disaster. And women likewise, while it's okay to be critical, not to step over that line. That's my advice for you guys. But that couple, they need to go get help. We'll be back right after this. Caution, the Mark Hunger Show contains adult content intended for an adult audience. I'm off the wall, I speak but don't make sense at all. It's a bit embarrassing what love has done to me. The music of Michael O'Brien. Guy's just a genius. Check out his music at michaelo.org. All right, what do you got? This one says, it's from a guy. I hear you talking a lot about how well a temporary separation works when the woman is the one requesting or requiring it. By our very nature, we guys just can't handle it and crumble under the pressure. Mm -hmm. Correct? Well, I think it can work both ways. But how does it work if the guy is the one forcing a separation due to bad behavior on the woman's part? It seems to me that she would be much less likely to crumble and possibly even more likely to blame the man for the separation. I'm not sure the end results would be the same. 
Uh, I think that possibly women tend to figure I can live without a man easier than a man can live without a woman, generally speaking. But that's not the only... The thing, her life will be much more difficult, particularly financially, which is something most women are, are concerned about, uh, which is her whole safety thing. So, no, I think it can be equally uh, powerful. And here's the main thing about people who act badly. They don't want anybody to know it. Mm-hmm. Their spouse knows it. And they know their spouse knows it. But they threaten their spouse never to ever, sorry about that, <laughs> never to uh, ever uh, tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anybody. I'll give them, don't you ever tell my mom. You know, or whatever else like that. And they kind of threaten each other and stuff. About mm-hmm. it. But when you separate, now you force the issue. Now her mom knows, her dad knows, her brothers know, your brothers know, your mother knows, your friends all know, your pastor knows. Uh, and that's what badly behaving people fear at all costs. Mm-hmm. They don't want anybody else to know. And if you play the stupid game with them where you don't tell anybody what's going on, uh, it'll spiral out of control. Don't play this game. If you have a spouse, I don't care if it's the husband or the wife, where someone is really bad, you know, they're getting drunk, they're gambling all the money away, they're having sex with other people, you need to pull back the shades and let the light come in. Uh, They will hate it, they will fear it, they will threaten you, they will scream and holler, but you have got to, otherwise it just becomes a metastasized cancer that will destroy your marriage forever. You want some hope? You've got to pull back the curtains. And that's what they don't want, but you need to do it. Mm-hmm. So there. Okay. Next email. My question is this. From a biblical standard, does forgiveness require reconciliation? I'm a 27-year-old woman, and for the last four years, my father has been incarcerated. Recently, he sent me a letter saying he wants to have a relationship with me once he's released, but I'm having some reservations. He says he's changed, but I just don't know what to think. He also told me he doesn't believe he did anything wrong, though he abandoned his family, broke the law, shacked up with his new wife before he had divorced my mom, and moved 2,000 miles away from my siblings and me. I don't think he has ever really been connected to God. I am no longer angry at my dad. I know as a Christian, I have to forgive him, but does that mean I must have a relationship with him? I'm only writing because when I asked my own pastor for help, he told me to pray about it. And that Sunday, (laughs) your show talked about why that is a terrible answer. It's a terrible answer. (laughs) It is the most gutless, cowardly, not to disrespect your pastor, (laughs) but this goes across the board. Anybody you come to and give them your problem, and their only response is, well, just pray about it. Get away from them. They either don't know the answer, which is probably true, or I'll give them that better for that, or they're gutless cowards, and they don't want to tell you the answer because they're afraid what you might think. In any case, it doesn't matter what their motivation is, and that's your job to judge what their motivation is. Get away from them. Anybody who, to their only answer to just pray about it, is a psycho, and get away from them. Having said that... That would make this show a lot easier. <laughs> I for know. You. What's that? If, if every just email had, was yeah. just. Oh, yeah, oh, just pray know, about it. it. You know, just kind of pray it through. And yeah. Let's pray right now. Oh, Lord, how that person name Next person, email. You know, oh, Lord, doesn't pray. I've, I've been on shows like that. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, these people, I mean, what kind of answer is that? Reminds me of the lady. She, she calls up this show is on being interviewed. Uh, my husband, we need to pray for my husband because he won't let the re- me read the Bible to him. Oh, well, let's pray together right now, the guy says. And I said, whoa, whoa, stop. And the guy was just shocked. What? What do you mean your husband won't let you read the Bible to him? Well, he won't. Well, let me ask you, what are you reading to him? Reading him scriptures showing what a failure he is? Or scriptures about how much God loves him and trusts and believes in him? 
and she goes, uh, the first. <laughs> At least she was honest. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to pray for him. You need to repent. You know, <laughs> that was the end of the conversation. People, let's just, let's just pray, pray about it. Look, I believe, I'm a big believer in prayer, but that is no substitute for wisdom and finding people who can speak wisdom. You find people who their only answer is to pray for you. They have no wisdom. Get away from them. Find somebody with Well, that's why wisdom. she wrote you. All right. Which was, what was the question again? I'm just yelling about she the prayer thing. She wants to know, does recon, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, reconciliation, require, yes. forgiveness require reconciliation? Our example is the scriptures and God. True forgiveness. If there's anything, the reason Jesus forgave us is so he could reconcile us to the Father. So ideally, yes. You should try and be reconciled. That's the that's the ideal. Now, having said that, if he's still destructive in your thing, look, if somebody's punching you in the face, I advise step back, <laughs> get away from them. You know, don't mm-hmm. let them keep hitting you. Somebody's stabbing me, I'm I'm gonna try and get at least an arm's length and a knife. <laughs> an arm and a knife <laughs> knife's length away from them. Yeah. I don't want to keep getting hurt. You know, so that's fine to protect yourself from someone who's being continually destructive. At this point, you don't know that. Uh, he wants to be reconciled. True forgiveness, yeah, sweetheart, would mean, yeah, I forgive you and let's be reconciled. Yeah. Easy for me to say I forgive people, but I never want to see them again. Yeah. No, no, no. Real love is I forgive you and yeah, let's be reconciled. I have people in my life I've reconciled with that uh, uh, others are mortified yeah. that I've reconciled with them. But you Not also just forgive them. Carefully they don't have with a, them. No, I know, but they they don't just yeah. You know, they yes. say we got to forgive, but don't have anything to do with it. Well, <laughs> no, I'm going to try and reconcile. Yeah. I'm no idiot. I get it. If they start stabbing me again, yes, I pull back. But short of that, yeah, reconcile. That's always the ideal. That is the goal. That's what Christ did on the cross was to reconcile us to God. That is my answer. All right. That was a good answer, actually. <laughs> One good answer. Out of every 300 shows, there's one good answer. It is what it is. <laughs> she says in the next email, moving on, thank God my marriage is being restored after much devastation. Things got very bad and we split up for a year and a half with the intent to divorce. The divorce did not go to the end, but in the time of the split, she says, I fell into sexual sin. Should I tell my husband now that we are getting back on track? It was just a sort of a one sexual encounter thing. It wasn't an ongoing affair. They've been reconciled for a year and a half now, and this happened about three years ago. Oh, yeah, that's a tough question, huh? Mm-hmm. <coughs> look, look, my general advice, unless you've got more details to share with me, is uh, you should be honest and open. Here's what happens. She'll hide that for the rest of her life with him. Mm-hmm. And it'll just grow in her, in this big wound in her, and that always fear and stuff. So if I share him with him, uh, he might leave me, maybe. You know. On the other hand, you were divorcing, and that's what happens. You put yourself in a vulnerable situation. I can't imagine you'd be that terribly shocked, would you? I don't know. Well, if they were separated for a year and a half, I would yeah, guess you, that he might think something could have possibly happened you, during that year and a half. On the other hand, someone, someone could argue, well, they were separated, therefore... She doesn't have to answer to him on that. I, I don't know. Generally, people ask me, you know, I had an affair, and I've asked God to forgive me, and, and my pastor says I don't need to tell him. Uh, what do you think? I always say I think you need to tell him. Yes, in a normal you're-stay-married situation, not this separation business. Yeah, I separation throws a little bit of a yeah. wrench into it, but I don't know. I, I think it's better just to... 
Because in a sense, the marriage is based on a lie. The assumption is, that's why people who don't ever tell, who you're really ripping off is the other person. Mm -hmm. You think you're saving them from pain. No, what you're doing, you're lying to them. I've heard of people that on their deathbed, on their deathbed, they will tell their wife that I have had this affair or I was sleeping with... And it was 30 years ago. Susie, such and such, and they are devastated. Mm -hmm. That means all those 30 years... Mm -hmm. Since that happened, it's all been a lie. She poured everything into him, not knowing that he had been unfaithful to her. I just think it's wrong. You need to give them a chance to forgive you and move on and, and built on a, a legitimate relationship after that. But these people who do that well, on their, they wait. On their if you told bed, them just, right ah. away, like in this situation, when they first got back together and reconciled, that would have been the better time yeah. to say it. Because then a half a year goes by and another half yeah. a year. And then pretty soon, oh, we're six years now. Should I tell them? And she's obviously being eaten alive inside. That's why this. she's bringing it up. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Better to get it out there and get it done with. That's my opinion. You want to know my advice? That's my advice. We'll be back with more emails right after this. Want more of Mark? Visit markgunger.com. There you will find everything that Mark has to offer. On the Mark Gunger Show, talking about love, marriage, and relationships, answering your emails. What do you got? She says, how can I raise my boy to be sexually pure in a sex-soaked world? I can't stop him from seeing billboards, women exposing too much skin, or inappropriate advertisements that society says is okay to air. Is it better that he masturbates than look at porn? <laughs> and Or can I really expect that he will do neither until marriage? You hear so much about how man's hormones, uh, how strong a man's hormones are. Is this really true? With all the stimulation around him, how can I help him? Uh, well, first of all, your father, your husband should be the one helping him. <clears throat> does she not have a man in the yeah, house? Yeah, she does. Yep. All right. Tell she him said that she knows a, that tell, he Tell him to man up. Talk to his kids. Mm-hmm. The important thing is to talk to your kids. The secret to this is not to hide it from them. People think, oh, gee, if I can keep them from seeing naked people or not knowing anything about sex, that doesn't work. And people used to not have this problem. For centuries, people were thousands of years, centuries, for millennia, people were raised in agricultural societies. Everybody saw cows doing cows, pigs doing pigs, frogs doing frogs. I mean, it was constant. At two years old, mm-hmm. you saw. <laughs> you saw the wild thing happen. You saw the wild thing happen. All of a sudden, whoa, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they getting so big all of a sudden? They oh jump my. on these. I'm serious. I You'll know. Be on a, I grew up a, on a farm. Oh, I yeah. Know. It's like, I know. holy stinking cow. I know. All right. So, the kids are raised with this stuff. They didn't think anything of it. They knew when you explained, you know, they understood what sex was. Mm-hmm. And men and women, you know, I've seen, you know, around showing naked people whip pictures of women. But the point is, it was out there. It was always out there. They always talked about it. This idea that they never talked about it is absurd. Of course, they had to talk about it. That's how, you know, running a dairy farm is basically a brothel. Mm-hmm. It's the cow brothel. <laughs> it's the cow brothel. Mm-hmm. You know how you get milk? All of you had milk on your cereal today. You know why that's possible? Because somebody insisted some cow, along with thousands of other cows, mm-hmm. all got knocked up. Mm-hmm. And they knocked them up on purpose. Mm-hmm. You keep them pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then they just keep lactating for a long And then at some point, you got to do it again. 
Mm-hmm. And they now they, a lot of they do with uh, artificial insemination. Mm-hmm. But even that you're seeing as a kid. Uh, or the old-fashioned way, you just had, you know, 100 cows and one bull with a big smile on his face. <laughs> that was his job. It was. I know. That, right? You were raising yes, a farm. So I know. This idea now today, because we're all, you know, we don't see that, is don't let your kids see anything. Don't let them be exposed to anything, because if they do it, they'll go crazy and start going insane sexually. No. Talk to them about it. Yes. Looking at naked people is a temptation. Of course men are going to want to look at naked. I should qualify. Pretty naked. <laughs> There's a a lot of ugly naked out there. Uh, (laughs) The truth is most people don't look good naked. But these small one percenters look good naked. They'll throw this in your face. mm -hmm. Acknowledge it. Great. Listen, sex is going to be great. You're going to enjoy it. Just do it right. Is this what motivates men? Is this the hormone? Yes, that's why we marry you girls in the first place. And it's good for your boy to grow up. The answer isn't for him to look at porn or to masturbate for the love of God. The point is, this is great. It's wonderful. You're going to enjoy it. Do it right so you can really enjoy it. When he turns 18, he's got a green light. Go find a girl. Might take him 10 years. Who knows how long. Might find him, take him six months. Doesn't really matter. Uh, my advice is the earlier the better, in my personal opinion. But hiding it from them and trying to shelter them from this explicit society. Societies have been explicit for a long time. Not to the degree it is, you know, with the internet and billboards and stuff. But, man, in pagan cultures, they all that stuff was out, was right there, out there, you know? Read the Bible. Paul is yelling at the Corinthian church because on the way to town, everywhere, there were prostitutes. And they were going to the prostitutes. You know, get serviced <laughs> on their way to the service. <laughs> That's exactly what they were doing. Read it. That's what, I, I know. In that scripture where it says, you know, uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And all you chicks like to quote that because it means, you know, make sure you take Shackley vitamins or <laughs> make sure that you eat enough salads or, you know, make sure you do because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Read it in context, you chicks. He's talking about screwing prostitutes. That's literally what he's talking about when he says your body is the holy temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Guys, quit having sex with prostitutes. So this stuff was everywhere. It's always been everywhere. Quit freaking out. The thing is, talk to them, be open about it, point it out. Oh, look at that. I know, but that can be problematic. But you want to do life right, you're going to enjoy sex. It's going to be fabulous. Don't tell your kids sex is bad and it's evil and it's going to be horrible. And, and then on their wedding night, say, okay, now go do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. A lot of people have that problem. Yeah, they do. So, you know, I think you're more fearful than you need to be. I think you just need to be, there's nothing to fear, folks. I'm seriously, there is nothing to fear if you just be open and honest and discuss it. And by the way, the more open you are, the less that impact it has on you. Mm-hmm. I remember some years ago, I was doing, I used to do video production, you know, 300 years ago, uh, when they first invented the camera. And uh, uh, we were doing a project for morality and media, and their whole thing was about exposing porn and stuff like that so we're at this meeting we're meeting with this lady and this lady she's like my mom she pulls out all these big magazines of just stuff that would make a normal person vomit and she's opening it up and showing it to all of us and she and i'm thinking oh my gosh this lady's like my mom you can't be looking at stuff like this and she's showing this to everybody but i'll never forget as we're looking at it, i'm thinking it's kind of odd as we're looking at it, but it's not having much impact on me. And then almost no sooner than I said that thought through my head, she says, you know, they teach us never, ever look at this alone. Mm-hmm. Because as long as you look at it with other people, it has no impact on people. 
It's a fascinating thing. You can actually study this. If you look at, and if, it, if we're looking at dirty pictures right now in front of all of us, it would not have the impact to a man is if he's by himself looking it's at it. It's a secret to. It's the secret part of it. Mm-hmm. The fact that someone shows something or sees something that is exposed, point it out, talk it through, tell them why. But there's nothing to fear. Openness is the key to this. Secretness, hiding them, don't letting us in, putting things on their eyes, you know, and putting them in a situation where they can be all by themselves and looking at it on the internet. That's what is dangerous. All right, enough of that. We'll be back with a final segment right after this. Attend Mark's Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage event. Visit laughyourway.com for upcoming dates and locations. back on the Mark Dunner Show, talking about love, marriage, and relationships. The last email, the lady concerned about, how do I protect my kids or seeing all this stuff? I say, don't be so afraid of all this. There's nothing to fear. The more open you are, the better. And then lovely Diane mm-hmm. made the this observation. My son was five and my daughter was eight when I came to work for you. So therefore, they have been raised in this, where it's just normal to talk about all kinds of things. We talk about everything. Yes. We talk about sex, masturbating, yes. all you know. They've all. heard it all. They, they, they've been exposed. You didn't yes. try and hide your kids No, no, this. we just talked yeah. about it. So now they're 17 and 20 and have no issues, no problem. They get this. It's just normal. And they bring their friends over and say, will you talk to our friends? Will you say this? They'll call me up on the phone. Will you have this conversation? because it's just normal and I have no problem talking yeah. about it. Their kids, he's not into porn mm-hmm. up to his eyeballs. She's out there having sex mm-hmm. with boys and all this kind of stuff. They have no problems because they were brought up in an atmosphere, a Christian atmosphere where this stuff is extremely open. I know some of you parents, you hide your the show from your kids. Oh, yeah. You know, they're four. I listen with my headphones on. Yeah, oh, I don't want them to hear. Yeah. And then people say, well, can I, can I watch them? I'm afraid. This has got to stop. It's this hiding thing. That's your problem. That's what creates the problem. Having this situation where you can discuss this stuff in a normal, open environment is what is healthy. And it actually inoculates them because you're speaking in an atmosphere of openness and in truth. You never have to be afraid of the truth. You don't have to be afraid of the truth. The truth will set you free. Okay, really quick one, probably can answer this. Uh, I recently was in a conversation with a friend of mine discussing intercourse in a committed dating relationship. Well, who uses that word anymore? Intercourse? Mm-hmm. Kind of intercourse. Well, it's very specific. Intercourse, to, Pennsylvania. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, her question is: Is is phone sex considered sex, or is it only the physical act of intercourse <laughs> that sex? Sorry. The, the reason is they call it sex? is phone sex sex. Uh, is a car a car? Yeah, that's why they call it a car. Well, you can't have is phone pig, intercourse. Is a pig a pig? <laughs> yes, because that's why they call it yeah. a, a pig. Yeah. Is phone sex sex? sex. Yeah, that's why they it's call just not it intercourse. Because of phone sex. That's why it's considered sex. Why do people ask these questions? Oh, it's like when you somewhere you go, anything in this general <laughs> Anything in this general area is considered involves sex. any of this. <laughs> I would think that that's funny I when you've done you that do a that. long time ago. Uh yeah, that's 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 why it's called is oral sex sex. sex. Yeah, that, that's why they call it oral sorry, Mr. Clinton. Sex. It's oral sex. sex. It's sex. You know, to, to, Follow the words. 
<laughs> well, it is sex. It's not intercourse. It's not intercourse, Pennsylvania. No. No. I mean, but there's lots of things besides penetration that fall into the sex category. Uh huh. But that's why they're called sex. sex sexual acts. Is sexting sex? That's why it's called sexting. <laughs> follow. Otherwise, it- follow the words, people. <laughs> Because it has to do with this, this general area. <laughs> because I'm not taking a picture of my elbow when I'm sexting it to you. Yeah, it's not your face. It's not sexting. It's right. when you. It's this. It's the, okay. <laughs> She's out of control now. Oh my gosh, people! I've been to Intercourse, Pennsylvania. <laughs> There's so many things that one could say about that. It's hilarious. <laughs> I these, know. The, uh, these Amish people. Intercourse, Pennsylvania, and mm. there's a bunch of other words that are also very tied to this, which I won't read or quote. But it's like, who were these people naming these towns? Well, it didn't used to have that only as its meaning, that word. No, I get it. Intercourse. I, no, I know. I know. They it were It used pervert, to be a... But how can one area, such a conservative one area, have, have so, many, so many towns I think that, they, that are named after sexual acts? <laughs> it's truly stunning. Now to everybody's going to go to their map. It's going to be a geography. Come look day. it up. It's hilarious. Pennsylvania Atlas and start looking. It's a beautiful the area, by the way, with fabulous people. I love those people. All right. All right. God bless you guys. See ya. Bye bye.